0: Join Global Genes at the 2002 Patient Advocacy Summit in San Diego, September 12th through the 14th. We'll be returning to an in-person event this year, and our theme is Rare Life Bonded Together. If you can't make the trip, the event will be available virtually as well. To register for the in-person or virtual summit, go to globalgenes.org and look under the events tab. Hope to see you there. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is RareCast. X-linked adrenoleukodystrophy is a rare inherited neurodegenerative disease. It's a debilitating and chronic condition that's characterized by progressive weakness, stiffness, and muscle spasms, as well as sensory dysfunction and incontinence. There is currently no approved treatment. Minarex raised $51.4 million in May to support its application for marketing approval of its XALD therapy in Europe and to support launch preparations. We spoke to Mark Martinell co-founder and CEO of Minerix about XLD, the company's experimental therapy, laryglitazone, and why it's being viewed as a potential treatment for other rare CNS diseases. Mark, thanks for joining us.
1: A pleasure to be here.
0: We're going to talk about Minarex, rare CNS diseases and your experimental therapy, which is in development to treat multiple conditions. Let's start though with X-linked adrenoleukodystrophy or XALD. This is your lead indication. What is XALD?
1: Well, XALD is a terrible disease to start with. It's a rare genetic and disease affecting the CNS uh, where patients may well end up dying in three years' time, but those that do not suffer this more acute version of the disease end up in a wheelchair in 10, 20 years after onset of the disease.
0: This is a condition that typically has onset between ages 20 to 30. How does it manifest itself and progress?
1: Well, between 20 and 30 is is the onset of this more, let's say, chronic condition that manifests with uh, problems on, on, on the walking, on the balance, on the, on the incontinence, but patients end up in a wheelchair with a, a spastic paraparesis, which means with a, with a lot of rigidity in the muscles. But that's for the chronic form of the disease. There's also the acute one, uh, which can affect both adults, but also pediatric patients between two and 10-year-old. And these patients develop a very aggressive inflammation in the brain, and they die in three years' time.
0: And how difficult a condition is this to diagnose? How is it usually diagnosed?
1: Uh, it's not difficult to diagnose, provided that the right physician thinks about the right test. Let's say uh, the test is pretty simple; is is with just a, 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 um, a drop of blood. You can diagnose the disease. And that's the reason why today in the US, newborn screening is in place in several states for the detection of ALD. The problem that happens in many countries and and other US states is that this is not a standard test that is regularly performed. And patients may be misdiagnosed because the physicians are not thinking that that may be the disease. And that's the typical uh, drama behind the rare diseases. It's not just a problem of treatment, it's also a problem of proper diagnosis.
0: And how is it generally treated today?
1: Well, there's no treatment, unfortunately, for those patients with um, the chronic form of disease. There's no treatment at all, only supportive care. And actually, our drug is the most advanced out there in development for this form of the disease. And then for those suffering the the acute form, the cerebral form of the disease, the standard of care is hematopoietic stem cell transplant, which is efficient to stop this acute process but has no effect on the chronic component of disease and is a very aggressive process by itself. As you can imagine, a a bone marrow transplant is is not a a simple thing.
0: Your lead therapeutic candidate, Leroglitazone is a PPAR gamma agonist. What role does PPAR play in XALD?
1: Well, uh, our molecule, or drug is, as, is, an, is what we call a small molecule, is a neural treatment once a day. So that's, that's very simple from the patient's perspective. Uh, in a, as a neural suspension, which is good for, for kids as well, uh, and for adults with difficulties of swallowing, etc., and what the PIPA, what the mechanism of action has, so this PIPAR gamma agonism biology of the molecule allows us to modulate simultaneously several pathways that are key for uh, neurodegeneration. And this includes inflammation, which plays a central role in ALD, but also in other CNS disorders. It also has a role in mitochondrial function, it has a role on myelination. So all these three elements uh, are central in ALD, also in other diseases. And that's why Ppar gamma agonists have been proposed as a potential therapy for multiple CNS disorders. The the issue was uh, to have a Ppar gamma agonist reaching the brain at sufficient level. And that's precisely what we have. That's why our molecule allows us now, for the first time, exploit this promising biology in CNS.
0: This is a an oral therapy, as I understood you just yes. now. Is there any issue getting it to cross the blood-brain barrier?
1: No, uh, it's it's certainly an oral therapy. Um, part of, of the molecule, or a significant part of the of the molecule that circulates in plasma, crosses the blood-brain barrier, and essentially uh, it crosses to an extent that sufficient levels reaches the CNS, and we achieve the required level of modulation of the target, so the P par gamma, and that's something that we demonstrated already in phase one, and we confirm in the ongoing clinical studies as well. So that, that's, the, that's the advantage of our molecule, essentially.
0: Is the expectation that this would slow disease progression, it would halt it, or does there any potential for it to actually reverse progression?
1: It's a disease-modifying uh, disease uh, treatment um, because it, we really uh, stop uh, a neurodegenerative process. Uh, we observe very impressive results on the progression of these cerebral brain lesions, and and how on treatment, this progression was significantly reduced compared with placebo. We also observe important impact on on outcomes on clinical outcomes related with the chronic component of the disease, such as the balance, and we think that the drug. Um, will stop uh, progression or slow down significantly the progression in CNS disorders. Uh, to to see a recovery, it's it's really really difficult because when the, the, there's been a neurodegeneration, uh, those cells that that died is is that's that's uh, unlikely to be recovered. But sometimes you can see some initial or some partial recovery, and then stabilization. And we've seen that kind of thing in some patients. And that may come from the remyelinating capacity of the molecule.
0: What's known about the safety or efficacy of the therapy from studies that have been done to date?
1: Well, what we've seen so far is that from the um, efficacy standpoint, We've seen uh, pretty impressive results on the cerebral lesion progression. Uh, we've seen that in different kind of outcomes, outcomes that are radiological, so using imaging, outcomes that are more coming from the clinical angle, uh, consistency with uh, biochemical biomarkers that are going, go in the same direction. That's for the cerebral progression. We also have data uh, on the chronic component with objective measures that look into the balance. Uh, We also have data from clinical scales, all that consistently moving into always in the same direction, which is showing uh, a drug effect. And all that with a safety profile that we think that is pretty good. Of course, it's not innocuous uh, as any other drug. There are some uh, at best events, so uh, and we don't want to minimize the relevance of the safety of, of a drug. Eh? But, um, but in our case, the most common findings are uh, edema, uh, weight gain, some increased lacrimation, which are already um, documented at best events for people gamma agonists. But in general, these are moderate and manageable. So overall, we think that we really have a very good benefit-risk profile for this molecule, particularly when we think on very severe conditions such as ALD.
0: And what's the development path forward?
1: Well, we are now in a very exciting moment, so at least for a biotech that that I founded 11 years ago now, and now preparing for filing for a marketing authorization in Europe. Uh, That's where we are. Uh, We are filing this summer uh, and hopefully uh, this will become the first approved treatment for this population um, uh, in Europe. In the US, we are under discussions with FDA uh, about uh, the, the path forward and which additional activities FDA would like us to, to, to run and we are in the, in the process on, on agreeing on that. I'm confident that we will find the right, uh, the right uh, path uh, with FDA um, and we'll go for it. Uh, so to make sure that the drug becomes a reality, not just in Europe but also in the US and worldwide, uh, as soon as possible.
0: You also developing this for the childhood version of ALD. Correct. Where are you in those development efforts?
1: Well, in in, in this development, we are conducting a, a trial. In this case, is a, a smaller study uh, because in the childhood form of disease is more rare of the disease, and we are conducting an open label study. This study has been conducted in Europe and is part of the what is called the Pediatric Investigational Plan, and is a registration-enabling study in Europe. And we are going to have uh, six months uh, interim data for the study towards the end of this year. So far, what we are seeing, we feel very encouraged uh, with the results, of course, with all the caution of the world, uh, when I'm saying that, because it's... We are in the middle of the study, but um, but overall we think that the that the, or we hope, if you want, that the, that this study will confirm this potential of the molecule on the treatment of the acute part of the disease, the so-called cerebral progression.
0: You mentioned that this has implications in other CNS conditions. One of those is Friedrich's ataxia. Yes. For our listeners not familiar with Friedrich's ataxia, what is that?
1: Well, Friedreich's ataxia is a um, completely different disease uh, from ALD. When we think on the genetic genetic basis behind the disease, so the origin is completely different. Nothing to do. One is the uh, uh, is accumulation of something called very long chain fatty acids that's ALD, and in fr- Friedreich's is the deficiency of fratexin. But down the road, downstream of those these genetic defects, these diseases have very similar or, or very common aspects. And one is the mitochondrial dysfunction. In, in Friedreich's ataxia, this is central in the disease progression. Inflammation has been also recently proposed as another impa- important factor uh, for Friedreich's ataxia and both inflammation and mitochondrial function are directly regulated by P. par gamma. So with these agonists, we can uh, counteract the dysfunctions that happen in, in Frederick's ataxia and thus potentially uh, treat this disease as well.
0: You recently completed a, a financing for, for a little more than $50 million. Part of those funds will be used for the commercial launch of laraglitazone. Where are you in terms of building a commercial team?
1: Well, now we are in the, in the first steps of, of that path uh, as just closed the, the, the round quite recently. We are also in the dialogue uh, with uh, with companies that have already the, the infrastructure and the expertise uh, as we are evaluating also this scenario of finding a, a good partner in Europe that has the capacity to successfully launch uh, a, new, a new treatment in the orphan CNS space.
0: As you think about other indications that you would pursue, how broadly Applicable, might the therapy be?
1: Well, uh, you know, we we, uh, we always like to say that the, that this the, the, this drug is works for many different things, which is probably true. But at the end of the day, uh, you need to do a very specific analysis on the benefit-risk profile in every single indication that we aim to pursue. Having said that, the there are vast number of opportunities for this molecule because we do see that in multiple uh, disorders, and you can have rare conditions such as Red syndrome, which is a very interesting condition with a huge uh, medical need, um, but even more prevalent conditions such as progressive multiple sclerosis. In these different indications, the pathways that are affected are very similar to those that are affected in ALD or phytoxia. Again the genetic basis of the diseases is very different for all of them. But then when you go to those pathways that are really impacted in, this pop- in these patients, they are not that different. And now that we have data from clinical trials showing that all those aspects that were looking very promising in, in animal models and in cell-based models, now we are seeing that, in, that they translate into, into humans that gives us uh, a lot of reassurance that really the potential of the molecule is pretty broad, particularly in these disorders where there's a strong inflammatory component in the CNS, for instance.
0: Given that potential broad applicability, how do you go about prioritizing the indications you'll pursue?
1: Well, That's that's again. It's a it's a multidimensional analysis. This eh? it's it's not a it's not a quick answer if you want. But uh, we need to take into account multiple things. To start is the feasibility. Is is and by feasibility I mean can we really demonstrate that this drug may work in this condition? Meaning, do we have clinical endpoints? Do we have? Mm, uh, a path in the clinic that, that it will be recognized by regulators or it's going to be a very long, long journey because there's nothing. So that's the first thing. No? Second is also availability of, of experts, people that we can collaborate with. This is essentially our model. So we have a great team into the company, uh, very specialized on drug development, particularly in the orphan space. But at the end, for every single condition, you really need to work with the real experts that are usually in academic groups, uh, hospitals, research centers, and they have the real expertise of the disease, animal models, uh, cell-based models, etc., And that's also important piece on, on the development, right? And then uh, these are more the scientific uh, key elements together with the, the availability of, or, or the capacity to find the patients, the diagnosis, uh, if there are reference centers etc that we can work with uh, to 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 run a clinical trial but of course we also need to take into account competition uh, is this a disease where there are already several other programs out there and more advanced and looking already good uh, that if that's the case then is is more questionable if it's worth to to move into that space because essentially if those treatments uh, are doing well uh, it may be very, very difficult to, to develop uh, another treatment afterwards.
0: So, this is kind of a pipeline in a product. Yes, is, is, exactly that. Is there a, a, an effort to look beyond this to build a, a pipeline of other compounds as well?
1: Yes, that's, that's also another of the possibilities uh, that, that's on the table for us, In certainly. If you want, this has not been... Our priority number one uh, during the most recent time. so because we are f- closing the financing, and we are now uh, priority one, two, three, four, and five is is the, our lead indication ALD in its chronic form, and it's and it's in an in its acute form of the disease. But after that, we have all the other indications that we discussed, But certainly, thinking more in the broader uh, vision for the company. Uh, now that we have shown that, that we can develop drugs in this space uh, um, efficiently, let's say, we will see if it's successful or not at the end, eh, because you never know. But at least we have been doing quite efficiently. I think that one of the possibilities is, is to expand the pipeline into other assets as well. But that's not, that has not been our priority uh, recently. But of course, that can be gaining more momentum as we move forward.
0: Mark Martinell, co-founder and CEO of Mitterex, Mark, thanks so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org.